Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Can I please have your attention? Can you dig it? Greetings, dear listeners. This is Jonah Goldberg, host of the Remnant Podcast, brought to you by the Dispatch and Dispatch Media. Stay tuned to the end. I'll have a few words about some things a lot of people are asking me about. Um, but in the meantime, I'm very excited. Uh, one might even say giddy. Um, to have returning uh, to the remnant, uh, one of my favorite people in the world, the lovely and talented A.B. Stoddard of Real Clear Politics. Um, A.B., welcome back to the podcast. Jonah, it is so wonderful to be with you, and I'm sorry that the listeners don't know that I'm wearing gold lame um, yeah. for, my, for my, I don't know what appearance on the remnant, but it's always an honor um, to be asked back. I appreciate the gold jacket reference. I really appreciate that because so I can see you that you hung those disco balls in your living room, which kind of cl- clash with your traditional decor a little bit. But hey, you know. Um, so where to begin? All right, so we're recording this on Tuesday morning, nine a.m. Um, why don't we start? I just wrote my LA Times column about this. It'll be up the dispatch later. Um about the just craptacular handling of this resolution by the RNC. Um, unless you disagree, unless you think it was one of the most adept moments of statecraft that you've seen in your time as a political observer. Yeah, yeah, that, that Rana and her minions are shrewd tacticians. Um, uh, yeah, I, I, I thought it was so interesting, Jonah, the arc of the instant reaction of people scrounging on Twitter saying, Hey, is Mitt Romney and like Larry Hogan, are they the only ones that are upset about this, right? Into Monday, where you have um, John Cornyn and Lindsey Graham, you know, bumming out about this publicly. Um, it, it's, it's obvious that this is the actual language, legitimate political discourse is such a damaging bumper sticker compared to the actual censuring of Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger. So that it puts every Republican candidate up and down the ballot on the spot. And they have to be asked about that repeatedly. Every time there's a new finding from the one six committee's work, everyone will return back to that. Well, your party's official line is that this is legitimate political discourse. What do you think about coup plotting? What do you think about um, the efforts to overturn an election? What do you think about witness tampering? All of this. Um, is going to be a campaign punching bag for the Democrats because this is not, you know, Louis Gomer at, at a fundraiser. This is the official RNC. This is your party. And so you must, you must reject or you must defend and embrace. And so it's just this, it's just so powerful because it's this perfect bumper sticker language. Uh, it's not, oh, do you still think it's okay for your party to reject um, on a obviously solely symbolic basis, two members of the House Republican Conference from the party. That's not where the power, that's not where the damage lies in this mistake. It's just that that language, legitimate political discourse. And so it's not just a two-day story, uh, I, I think. Um, and it's not just about the censure. It's really about being pro-coup, being pro-violence, and every new revelation is going to make people have to own this again. So, I mean, that's, that's basically where I come down is that it is a, rem- it is a remarkable feat to do something, go into something, to do something stupid and come out the, which is, which was to censure Cheney and Kinzinger, um, and come out the other side, stepping on your own message 
by doing something even dumber, right? Because like <laughs> no one's talking about that Cheney and Kinsinger were were censured. It's all the exactly the discourse thing, and um, and from everybody I've talked to, including a lot of people who talked to a lot of people at the RNC and all this kind of stuff, um, they, they all the reporting seems to be that they were just blindsided that this was going to be a mistake and that. They thought it was just implied that the subpoena that the the people being subpoenaed by the January sixth committee uh, for like the fake electors stuff and that kind of thing was what they meant by you know people committing legitimate political discourse and that they couldn't understand how this had anything to do with the violence stuff. Yeah, and, that's the best part. And I, my my only thing is is like 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 when people say that kind of thing on background and they act a little indignant you know, or off the record and they act a little indignant or like they're willing to show you that they're, that they recognize how much they screwed up because they were like yeah. oblivious to something. I'm, I'm inclined to give it a little credit at the same time. These guys sat around for days debating this thing or, or crafting this thing. And, and so I like, do you have a, I mean, like I, I don't believe Dave Bossy when, you know, he thinks he says that this wasn't about Trump or any of that kind of stuff. I think he wants, you know, he's carrying water for a specific Trump message about trying to whitewash January 6th. But do you have a is it incompetence or is it, you know, malevolence that is the better explanation for how they managed to do it? Well, I think there might be some honesty in those background conversations about how cold blindsided they were to, about yeah. the backlash, which is, you know, in and of itself stupid because it shows where their thinking is not. Uh, Jonah, DOJ is going after the people, the rioters. The committee is subpoenaing people who are committing, I mean, who were trying to overturn an election, not right. just coming with their flags from a Trump rally on the ellipse. And then getting a little wild once they got inside the Senate chamber, okay, or to the point where they, you know, f- thought they had to mutilate police officers. This the, the committee is going after people in in they're trying to talk to people in state legislatures. In uh, there are six or seven complicit members of Congress who are actively involved in this. People at in the executive branch in the White House around the president, and people at the agencies. The Pentagon was involved. The Department of Justice was involved. The coup plot from November 3 until January 6 was very broad and deep, went on for almost two months, and it it involves a lot of people. Those are not the the sweet patriots who might have got caught up, the ordinary citizens um, who were protesting, you know, the election on January 6 at the Capitol. The the people that the committee are, are sending subpoenas to are really bad actors. <laughs> so, so, so the idea that their, their last name isn't Trump and so they're innocent, ordinary citizens in and of itself is crazy. I mean, that, that says it all, right? So, so you're surprised by the reaction to the language of legitimate political discourse, but the, the actual meat of their, of their resolution is don't go after people who were plotting a coup. Right. Don't do that. They're just ordinary citizens writing up fraudulent slates of electors to steal an election. I just, I don't, I, I can't really feel sorry for them being surprised. Yeah. Well, so I, I guess what I'm getting is, is, is I think that that place is like, there's re- reason. I, I, I think I linked to the CBS polling on this, you know, only 6% of, of Republicans at least in January, said that they were very supportive of what happened on January 6th. And then I think it was another 18% said that they were some put, they approved somewhat, right, of what happened on January 6th. And I can, I can see the somewhat, you know, if, if, if you're a super partisan and you want to say the rally was good and, but, you know, the violence was bad, I can see how you could find a safe harbor in there psychologically. That's all fine. But, the simple fact is, 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 is like 75% of Republicans think that January 6th was a bad, was either very bad or somewhat bad, right? You know, they approve, uh, they disapprove strongly or somewhat disapprove. What the hell, you know, the whole premise, I go back to the beginning of this, right? The whole premise of this thing was they said they needed to censure uh, Liz, uh, Liz Cheney and, and Kissinger to 
send the message that Republicans need to be unified and stop talking about January 6th. And there's a superficial plausibility to that, right? I mean, like, like January 6th is bad for Republicans. It divides Republicans. The idea that somehow you're going to talk about it less by censoring these people, I think, was kind of idiotic. But the idea that you could sit around in a room and think, yeah, we have the wind at our back. Everybody agrees with us. No one could possibly read this resolution differently than the way we are reading it to ourselves. It just suggests that like, they're so deep, you know, so deep in a bunker, they could play that old game operation during like the bombing of Dresden and like not even light up the patient's nose. I mean, it's just, it's so, so out of touch with where their own party is, right? And what their political, like at least the RNC used to be a bunch of hacks who were like, you know, who were too like squishy Main Street kind of hacks. They were like, didn't want to rock the boat. They were afraid of being too ideological. And they were kind of the Me Too Republicans that people like me at National Review couldn't stand. But these guys there, it's like they're all somewhere between Alex Jones and Tucker. Yeah, I, I mean, the idea that they're paying, that Trump is sitting on all these millions of dollars and he raises more every single day and then they're paying out of their donor base, they're paying for his legal defense bills is to me such a manifestation of how lost they are. Yeah. Um, and, and, and they are, you know, they're just, they're just waiting for, for his next instruction. And the, the one six stuff, I think, again, it, it, I can see, you know, to your point, like, they think, well, let's move on, and and then you know we we don't want to we don't want people talking about this. Then they do something to make sure that we will be talking about this for the rest of this campaign and into next. But um, they don't, and they you can tell they are not trying to see past their own base and and make sure to keep women who voted for Biden who now can't stand him um, in the party and and in, and and actually energized to vote this year down ballot for Republicans instead of maybe just staying home, not supporting Democrats, right? So that's your target audience. If these races are going to be won on the margins, you're thinking, well, we just want to keep those people focused on um, immigration, spikes in violent crime, um, school closures, you know, all these things that make them mad, inflation. And instead, they, their mindset is never about addition always about beating the base and beating Trump and fearing his, you know, his um, hot blast the next day. And so, I, I mean, still, I, I, I don't know, Jonah, I just still can't believe that he has all this money and they're paying his, his yeah. legal bills. The whole thing is completely um, insane, but obviously the membership is happy with it. What I will say is their donors are prickly. They don't like to talk about their donations. And I do think when people start putting them on the spot, about this censure stuff, I mean, about the the language, they're not going to be happy. Yeah. They don't want to be associated with this stuff. Um, all right, so switching gears slightly. Um, I, I'm torn. And since you're sort of, you know, I don't know, we're about the same age or I'm older than you, I don't know, but you're, you're sort of like my, you're not my mom, but you're kind of like, my sister who tells me how to like think right about things when I go too far off field. So, um, um, I can never be as cool as your mom, Jonah. Um, and you curse a lot less. So there's that, but, um, <laughs> well, um on the remnant, I curse a lot less. <laughs> Trust me. There, there is no context anywhere in which you curse more than my mom does. But, uh, um, so did you happen to see Mike, uh, uh Mark short on, um, meet the press this weekend no i just read the quotes yeah so i'm of two minds about this right on the one hand good for mike pence saying this but good for mike pence using his name good for mike pence saying he didn't have that power um and even though i've tweeted a dozen times jokes about how donald trump thinks kamala harris can appoint the next president um I do not like the way Pence has framed this as sort of, 
Well, the one of the main reasons why I'm not gonna, why I couldn't do this because I wouldn't want Kamala Harris to have that power either, which is perfectly fine, like partisan talking point, all that kind of stuff. Marco Rubio, that was his sole explanation for why he thinks the vice president shouldn't be able to uh, declare the president uh, unilaterally. Is he says because I don't want Kamala Harris to be able to do that in 2024, which was just incredibly Weasley. But the the problem I have with like the with Mark Short and, you know, look, when you're watching Mark Short speak on TV, the really remarkable thing is you can't even see Mike Pence's lips moving or Mike Pence's hand up his butt, you know, making his mouth move. But he's basically Mike Pence's ventriloquist dummy, which is fine. You know, people have those kinds of people in politics and all that kind of stuff. And Short's a nice enough guy. But they seem to be trying to lay down this marker that Pence was simultaneously heroic for doing what he did but at the same time there were lots of reasons to think the election was stolen but and the, i thought the key interesting line from short was when he said um there were a lot of disturbing things about the election but the trump campaign didn't raise them in court before december 14th so it's kind of a conspiracy theory kind of thing, as if like there are legitimate claims that the election was stolen, but the Trump campaign failed to bring them up for some reason. And it seems like that's a positioning thing. Anyway, it just feels like if you're going to claim to be the hero for standing athwart a stolen election or a self-coup or whatever, don't at the same time say, but the coup plotters kind of had a point about stuff. I mean, he kind of <laughs> wants to be the hero of the ba- of the Trumpian base on this issue, while at the same time get strange new respect from DC for his heroic, you know, stand um, against the coup. And I, I, I just don't find the two positions tenable, and they're just sort of too clever by half. But maybe, maybe I'm missing something. No, I feel the same way. I mean right about Mark Short. So the idea that Mark Short has cooperated with the committee means that, you know, Mike Pence wants to cooperate with the committee and and throw um, Trump under the bus, I truly believe, without actually going there himself. And then there was a very um, Jared Ivanka style planted piece in the New York Times several weeks ago where sources familiar with his thinking said he's getting very annoyed by the committee because it's you know, it's being so aggressive and coming after his staff. And it's not really true that they're fully cooperating. And he doesn't, it's, he thinks it's a bit partisan. He thinks they're just trying to turn, you know, Trump against him. So that was the pre, you know, that was the proactive move before Greg Jacob and Mark Short went and spilled all to the committee. There was an effort at the time I went back for January 6th on the anniversary through a lot of stuff. And there was an effort at the time um, that, that when Trump put out that, that, excuse me, when Pence put out the statement midday at the same time that Trump was at the rally, um, that they used specific language to try to, for posterity's sake and history's sake, lay down a marker that that this was, you know, that this was not the role of the vice president. No future vice president could do it either. Be they future bad actors um, who would try the same thing. Um, and so I think he likes to, you know, get his um, pats on the back from constitutional scholars, um, you know, at, at Heritage and the Federal Society and, and, and be um, this, you know, this hero to them. Then also, self, even if Trump runs to run as this guy who, you know, straddles the middle, he saved the republic from a constitutional crisis. He was sane. Um, and he just wasn't going to, he wasn't going to abide that kind of, um, madness and authoritarian, you know, whatever moved by Trump, but he loves the Trump base and he loves all the policies, you know, and he wants to take credit for four of, for standing by Trump for four years as vice president. So it's definitely, he's definitely trying to have it both ways. There's no question. Um, but this part where they flirt with the, there are just so many questions uh, is just revolting because 
at the time they said this stuff was crazy and it's in books mm. um and that mark short was saying that this was was insane what eastman and these other uh, lunatics were coming up with and pressuring pence with and so the idea that now they would say in an effort to position himself you know for the iowa caucuses that there that, that if only trump's legal team had been smarter and not been a bunch of um clowns like rudy giuliani um they could have figured this out and and actually prosecuted the case of legitimate um concerns that he mark short's going to have to answer and mike pence going to have to answer to uh, to for what those concerns are now i don't know if you saw martha raditz she interviewed some nutter who's running for you know who's a total uh big lie um Republican running for something somewhere. I think in Arizona. Remember? Yeah. Sorry. Thank you. If you saw the interview, she goes, all of this has been struck down. Um, you know, his, Trump's own government, all the courts. Well, there are questions. She says it again. Well, there are questions. That's all they have to say to please the bases. Well, there are questions. And if someone like Mike Pence is going to try to actually run for the nomination and, and, and flirt with that stuff the way Mark Short did to help him out, He's he's going to have to answer the question of what he would have rec- what what seriously sinister you know findings he has that really concern him and keep him up at night um, that could have uh, made you know could have rigged the election uh, that that the court should have been presented with and that that's I, I think that's a really stupid line for them to push I know why they're doing it they want to have it both ways Mike Pence believes that he can get. Um, he he really believes he's on a hot streak, and he and he got a bunch of calls the day after January sixth, saying you know from funders and 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 people in the party saying you did the right thing, we're gonna stand behind you, we're gonna take care of you, and he really believes he has a path um, to the nomination with this. So it'll be interesting to watch just how much they indulge um, in that kind of one foot here, one foot there. There are serious questions, and the, the more he 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 flirts with that and sounds like Ron Johnson, um, I think the more trouble you know. I think he'll really injure himself. I think the, the the right thing to do is to continue to lean into it and talk about how the party needs to focus on Biden, all the things that McConnell says. Uh, but but I, I was surprised because I didn't I didn't hear any of that until Mark Short said that the other day, and I I think that they are they would be smart to just drop it. I mean, I make fun of Pence a lot, but you know, he's actually no fool. Right. And I mean, he's, 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 he's kind of like if, if, if Ben and Jerry's were going to come up with a flavor, you'd be like doofus vanilla. I mean, there's like, there's something, (laughs) you know, he refuses to, 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 because like in person, he can be like a fairly charming person and he can talk like a normal person, but in public, he is so disciplined in his sort of Mike Pence-ness that he's, he never breaks character. And, um, but I'm sure he's got people doing polling, right? And like, he's got people on the ground. Who is the natural constituency for Mike Pence right now? I mean, is there, uh, I mean, is it's, it's, it seems he's lost the evangelical base for the large part, for the most part. Right. And the, the hardcore sort of working class Trumpers don't want to have a beer with Mike Pence. Um, and the, the super loyalist cultish guys think he betrayed him. So I, I just like, I, I don't, and, and suburbanites think he's sort of a, you know, a, a Stepford husband. So I just don't, I don't, I don't get who, he thinks he's whose backs he's going to ride to the nomination, never mind winning the presidency. Well, a um, couple of things. He's very tactical. So for the entire Trump presidency, he was doing very smart work all over the party to make sure that he was um, doing people favors and earning shits um, just in terms of party structure to be positioned for this. And um, I think that, again, he has gotten a lot of love from the right people. Um, about doing the right thing um, and uh, saving the constitutional order. And I think that, A, remember, none of these guys ever asked themselves that question. I mean, Vice President Kamala Harris 
doesn't have a constituency either. She yeah. has no base. That's there's fair. no one in Washington. There's no coalition of hers. There's she has no rabbi. There's no one in Washington saying everyone better stop kicking her around because she is going to be the nominee in 2024. And she and and stop you know stop these background stories. She doesn't have a base. Mike Pence doesn't either. He believes he will be the only fusion candidate between the never Trump camp of 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 Larry Hogan, uh, Jeff Duncan, the lieutenant governor of Georgia, potentially John Sununu, and uh, potentially Liz Cheney, whatever, over on one side, and Ron DeSantis and Trump on the other. And, uh, you know, Cotton Cruz, Holly, all those people, right? So he thinks that somehow, bec- just because he's he was vice president and he has a better um, apparatus uh, that he's built up, that he can outlast them. Um, and, and, and I think that, you know, he believes that, well, you know, he's believed for a long time that he was positioned by, you know, the powers above mm-hmm. to be there, be chosen by Trump and be there and that he's going to be president. So, so that's, that's what he thinks, but he is right now the only one in the middle. He's the only, um, fusion sort of straddle candidate in the field, if you look, um, because Nikki Haley's now renounced everything that she said a year ago and gone over into the um, into the Trump camp. There's no one else, right? John Sununu is pretty anti-Trump now. I mean, mm-hmm. he's very focused. He's very audible about like January 6th and the big lie. And, you know, he, he's very, he doesn't, he doesn't dodge those questions. So Mike Pence believes there's some middle in there. <laughs> if he's right. Um, yeah, I just, I guess I get that on paper, but like just the whole idea, given how personality driven our politics have become, the oh, idea, yeah. I mean, please. <laughs> you know, I just, I, I, I just have a, such a hard time seeing it and, and, but you're, you make a good point. You know, the capacity for politicians to delude themselves is profound. I mean, my, I, I might get in trouble with my wife for telling the story, but, uh, when my wife worked for Newt Gingrich a long time ago and there was he was he refused to declare whether he was going to run for president um at one point he says uh my wife confronts him and is like you know mr speaker are you are you going to run and and newt says to her jessica lots of great men have spent their time in the wilderness reagan churchill the gall and just sort of trails off <laughs> and like like that's the kind of thing people tell themselves when they are completely like dashed in terms of their presidential ambitions is like yeah well this is just you know like i am i'm nixon in exile you want to have nixon to kick around but i will be back right or i'm 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 napoleon and elba and um the problem is for every great political leader who spent time in the wilderness and then came back to to power like thousands just never left the wilderness they wandered <laughs> off like an injured animal and died in the snow alone and you know the but anyway it just uh, and again I, I i could live with mike pence as president i think on the policy stuff he'd be fine i mean i don't like rewarding the kind of loyalty to trump that he has shown all these kinds of things and blah 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 but that's those are my hang-ups I think he'd be perfectly safe Republican president. I just don't know who is dying to have him be president other than Mrs. Pence. Okay, so true, but they are all deluded. And their picture scenario in which I think that he believes the evangelicals will come back to him. I think that if 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 he if for some reason Trump gets rubbed out of, uh, with a health event or too much legal trouble or indictments or I don't know what um, that, which is what Ron DeSantis and Holly and Ted Cruz and Tom Cotton and all of these people hope is, is health event or indictment that, that if it is a DeSantis Pence race, I think Pence believes he can get the evangelicals back and he'll lean into some Holy war talk and go completely crazy on how, um, Satan is coming to take over America and that they'll be back in his camp. Maybe, maybe, maybe. All right, let's, um, 
let's switch to the um other side um so uh my friends at the commentary podcast had an interesting um case last friday that that and they follow like covid politics way closer more closely than i do um and they have some well-developed theories on all of it and they make the case that you know so we got some bafo job numbers on friday right really historically great job numbers and they make the case i think pretty persuasively um i can't remember what my objections were anymore but um that biden can't talk about the economy coming back the way he should because too much of his sort of like the rnc is um you know has been captured by the the sort of extreme maga base types um the Democratic Party, and we've talked about this a bunch about how the Democratic Party can't do sister soldier, uh, Biden can't do sister soldier stuff, even though it is the most friggin' obvious thing he should be doing almost every week. Um, but it, their point was is like they can't really celebrate how great the job numbers are because A, they had prepped everybody for them to be terrible. Um, they said that Omicron is gonna make them really bad, blah, 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 blah. But B, more importantly, because it, it the there's a big chunk of the Democratic Party or like the sort of very online you know MSNBC part of the Democratic Party that does not like the idea that COVID isn't a huge shouldn't be the driving factor in our economic situation anymore. And if you say, well, Omicron actually didn't screw up the economy, we got a lot of jobs, the economy is coming back, it's we're heading back to normal. The Biden people are like have been burned so many times by saying back to normal. But they don't want to say it anymore and they get beaten up for it by you know the the sort of hypochondriac wing of of the democratic party um you've always been more concerned about covid than i have but i've been concerned about covid neither of us you know have been the you know the like as bad as our in-house hysteric steve hayes but you know we you know we get it um what do you think about that do you think that the, that that biden is like hemmed in by his own sort of and, and also the, the democrats generally look at the stacy Abrams photo catastrophe um do you think they should move on from the covid stuff or start talking about moving on from the covid stuff um or do you think there's like they're hemmed in by national democrats who don't want them to um i think that it's clear that um and it has been for a while that uh i mean look back into january um several weeks ago where democrats were kind of asking the administration to come up with this new uh messaging which is that we're going to cycle out of this crisis and we're going to manage the situation and covid's not going to rule our lives and the, the, then you see that you know with different governors Murphy in New Jersey, governor of Delaware, you know, doing, ending their mask mandates and stuff. This, um, this is, you know, something that the, the, a lot of strategists are saying to the, to the president and his team that if we don't get cover, uh, credit for this recovery, that's the end of us. Mm -hmm. This is a recovery that is impressive. We must own it. Inflation will go down, likely by the third or fourth, by the third quarter, maybe in time for the for the midterms. But it is going to go down, and that these other other economic data is something that Trump would be, you know, saying was the best thing that ever happened in the history of the country. We need to own it. Um, Biden in one year has seen more job creation than the last three Republican presidents combined. Uh, the most businesses created ever in a year last year record holiday sales but they were very spooked by the omicron disruption because it was a variant that didn't evade our vaccine protection but because it made everyone sick at the same time including you and me at the mm -hmm. exact same time i didn't get as sick as you i had my booster but i have three children who came home from college and go to bars so my husband and i knew that we'd have it within five days and we did so, I mean, so everyone's sick at the same time. It emptied the grocery stores for weeks and it canceled flights and caused mass sick outs. That is disruptive. And it was ominous. 
And while there was this economic bounce back, and that's great, and the dispatch today is making is has a lot of good data on, on, on that I recommend people look at on how the, the economy is separating from the pandemic. That's a good sign going forward, and those things will hold. But I think, like I said, that that being spooked by that, uh, though it was not lethal, it was disruptive, makes them afraid to say, "We've we've we've kicked we've kicked the pandemic's ass. We're not going to have economic fears anymore." The reason, throughout all this data, even before inflation started really becoming so robust, the reason that Americans continued to be down on the economy was the pandemic. But how can you look out six weeks, six months in advance and feel like everything's going to be okay when you feel like you're in a new cycle of, of a, of a, with a new variant in a pandemic the, the new president said he would contain and has not? So they're very burned by the fact that it's a volatile situation and they don't know if we'll have another Delta variant outbreak next June or July. In summer, when you're not supposed to have, you know, it's not flu season, they don't know what's around the corner. So, so yes, they are, forget online Democrats. Um, At at the White House, they're burned. So they need to proceed cautiously. They also have um, come up against uh, the realization that Mandates can't happen and they don't work and are unpopular and everyone's exhausted and the unvaccinated are going to stay unvaccinated. There's no convincing them. All these things that they had a different perspective on a year ago. So they're looking for this reboot. They're trying to put it together. They they truly hope that they can um, message on this economic data, even though inflation make, bums people out and makes them you know not believe it. And as David Axelrod keeps saying over and over, you can't tell voters what to feel, right? Um, they're hoping that voters will feel it by July uh, if they don't feel it in February. But but I think that I, I know that they want to take credit for the recovery, and it's just a, it's just a it's, it's sort of pairing that with the messaging on letting go of masks and positioning out of the pandemic is is some kind of a dance. They've also had really bad record of the CDC not knowing how to handle the new variants and all of the mis- mixed messages. So um, uh, I, I, it's not that they don't want, they they will. Um, they just are on, on sort of some unsure footing still on how to, how to tell the public, um, okay, we're done with this crap, just like you are. And then have, what if we have, boom, you know, another variant that comes out of South Africa? Um, in June, just in time for people to make up their minds by August on how they're going to vote in the midterms. Um, yes, so I, I, it, it's, I, it's complicated. I agree. It's complicated. I think, you know, one of the places where it was, un, it's weird. The At the beginning of the pandemic, when Trump was president, when people were looking for a steady hand, Trump was not a steady hand and people didn't like it. And now two years in, I don't think I don't think there's anybody except the, put it this way, except voters that the Democrats automatically have in their column. I don't think there is a major audience for presidential crisis leadership mode when it comes to COVID. Um, You know, and because people have now figured out in their own head what they think about COVID. They figured out in their head what the risks are. They don't want to be told what to do particularly by a government that has gotten so many things so wrong over so many periods of time from two parties. And, and so the Biden folks, I think for understandable reasons, you know, cause they, they were, he was elected to be the anti-Trump. So they thought they're going to be like the steady hand of leadership on, on COVID stuff. Uh, that's how they came in and it kind of worked for them for a little while, but now like, it seems to me that the political incentives are at the presidential level to basically say, man, that was rough. We got, we got surprised a few times. Obviously we don't know what the future holds. And if there's some new variant that requires heroic measures and, and effort will do that. But 
it's time for every community to figure out how they want to deal with this on their own. We will provide whatever resources we have, yada, 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 yada. Uh, because as it's, because first of all, that happens to be the truth, <laughs> you know? And like, right. I, I think after two years of this crap, people just want to hear, I don't think the public, the public gets angry when people say, I don't know. They get really angry when people say, I'm absolutely sure. When right. what they really mean is, I don't know, but I don't think I can trust you with the this uncertainty. And and so the danger now, it seems to me, is like, you know, like when you have Oregon and New Jersey and California set it, putting dates on the on the calendar to get rid of their mask mandates, um, it's time to sort of say, OK, this issue is moving beyond us. We're going to get back to focusing on the economy, yada, yada, yada. But there is something about just sort of the nature of the the White House culture on this stuff that makes it very, very difficult for them to sort of let go of, of hyper concerns about COVID. And, and again, I get hyper concerns about COVID six months ago or even a year ago, but like, but I just, I just don't think that's the mood of the country anymore. Right. But the thing is you're supposed to follow the mood of the country, but you're also supposed to protect the country. So what if a new variant comes and we don't, and and it evades our vaccine protection and we're not, and it is more lethal and it's clogging up hospitals and it's not just, it's no longer just, hey, unvaccinated, you're on your own. Um, that's the fear is that they need to be planning for that. And they need yeah, to but, but that stuff can that all continue. Yeah. But that stuff can all continue in the background, right? I mean, they can still be no, doing upping the mask, ma- or the vaccine manufacturing and all that kind of stuff, right? Everything you just said that Biden should say, I think is absolutely the right thing to say um we'll see what they do like i said they 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 just are um they feel so burned they they're not i don't think they have confidence in in what their messaging should be they do know they have to champion the recovery they have to own that politically um but but they're really they're really spooked so they are going to come up with some something is it's all happening behind the scenes they're in the next couple of weeks, we're going to hear probably at the State of the Union some new. We're at the endemic stage. You know, they are going to reset. They're they're mm-hmm. going to change course. But um, how exactly it comes out on the other side, I, I can't be sure. So I mean, we started with all the stuff with the January sixth stuff and the, all that, and we we should acknowledge there's a difference in what they call in philosophy is versus ought, right? So. The country ought to be enraged, outraged, furious, dismayed, ashamed about the behavior of the of the president of the United States to try and steal an election. Okay, stipulated. I'm with you on that. But that's the ought. The question is, what's the is? And you know, you listen to Republicans, and they'll say, "This isn't what Republicans. This isn't what the voters are talking about. They aren't talking about January 6th. They aren't talking about." And the politicians who say that they're saying that in part to dodge having to answer questions they don't want to answer i get that too but it doesn't mean they're wrong right so like does january 6 play into the heavily into the 2022 midterms does um you know uh, what are going to be the driving issues because um right now it just, it's very hard to find an issue climate and you know a set of issues that that work for the democrats and that the Democrats are using capably to work for them, right? That's your point about the economies. They could be running on the economy stuff, but they don't seem to know how to do that. Right. So the using capably part, put that aside. Um, because if the election were held today, January 6th would not be a salient issue. That is going to likely be different, but we just don't know to what measure after we have primetime hearings and two reports from the committee. Again, you're, the, the key set of voters in this election are people who voted against Trump um, by either staying, rejected Trump and either stayed home and sat out 2020 or voted for Biden. Those are the gettable voters. And Democrats have, have lost them right now. And what they need to do is either keep them home so that they don't vote um, for for congressional Republicans or challengers to, like, you know, 
this frontliners to to Alyssa Slotkin and Abby Spanberger and Elaine Luria and Nikki Sherrill. Those those we, the Democrats lost frontliners in 2020 and they can't lose anymore. Um, and this is what I'm saying is is I know this is like really inside baseball, but like those people matter whether they lose the majority or not. You really want you really don't want to lose them because once they're gone, they're gone. So it's mm-hmm. really important, right? If if the Republicans have a, a, a 50 seat majority or or a 13 seat majority, it's really important that you keep those as many of those swing seats as as you can. So in a wave, there could be Republicans could take out non swing seats. Anyway, it, it's 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 complicated. But the point is that those voters that that the one six committee findings could resonate with, they are the key. They are the the people that that voted for Glenn Youngkin after voting for Biden. They are the they are the persuadable voters, and so for for Democrats, things just could happen um, that change the the uh, the the white hot rage of the headwinds right now um, against them. That is the economic recovery. Um, is really durable. People start to feel it. COVID abates. People say, God, I haven't thought about that in a long time. You know, it's August mm-hmm. and um, the school year ended well. The masks came down. Um, the, the next school year looks promising. And people think, oh, I haven't been pissed about COVID in a really long time. That Biden, um, you know, uh, it's a bipartisan bill on reforming the Electoral Count Act and all that kind of legislative fighting um, function on Capitol Hill dies down, which was the focus for like five solid months. But the Democrats were nuts and all they did was fight with each other and they couldn't pass their unrealistic proposals. So that's another thing that would help them, not something that they choose, but again, something that sort of just happens to them. So COVID abates, the economy's good. Uh, Biden seems like he's in control on the Ukraine-Russia front. Somehow, maybe that maybe we hold off on on war in Europe until the until the um, election, and um, that he effectively leans into this reset with police leaders and um, Eric Adams, and focuses on you know the, the, the messaging that they were starting last week, which is to focus on. On gun violence, which pleases the base, but at the same time you focus on rising crime and you support more cops on the beat. And if that kind of thing is being talked about um, and breaking through, again, that pisses off the left. Lower the white hot rage in the middle. So a bunch of weird things could happen that I would predict, even if they all happened. Um, would still cause that the Democrats still lose the House, but maybe um, it's not their number. Their losses aren't as steep. And those would be things that they didn't want or plan on. Uh, the only thing that is actively happening um, is that Biden has has realized the damage of defund the police. And that's why he's leaning in to this uh, reset with police leaders and trying to sort of link arms with Eric Adams. The rest of the stuff is like, just maybe going to happen. Um, and uh, that's, you know, again, Democrats would like to keep fighting about Build Back Better. But if Manchin just cuts it off, which he has right now, then whether they like it or not, that, you know, family fight is going to is going to um, disappear for a while. So those are the things I think um you know, the chaos at the border will be part of the Republicans' message. Um, you know, crime will let, rates will likely still be bad. Inflation, it, you know, it, it, it could still be bad. On substance, Republicans have good message, but they never, I mean, th- right now they're riding the wave, the Republican wave, without even really having to talk about that stuff and answering, like, craptastic questions about RNC censures. How much Democrats can keep Republicans on the defensive um, on every every revelation from the one six committee um, and the able ones will do that in their campaigns. 
uh, I think will matter on the margins. I think th- those that will um, potentially keep those um, voters that really care about the system um, will we'll, we'll give them pause. And it just, it, it will, again, to, to, it's, been, it's a question of degrees. It just depends on what the hearings are like, what the findings are, how many people um, focus on that. I don't think that the base of either party will um, care, but it's those people that that really got freaked out by the smashing of the guardrails in the Trump administration that will, I think, I think will be affected uh, by, by what they learn. So um, I still would say, Jonah, that the Democrats are going to lose the House no matter what. It's a question of how many seats. And, um, and I think they lose the Senate as well. But a few things could just help them between now and then uh, that they don't even, you know, that they haven't schemed for or messaged on or thought about. Um, it's just less chaos, uh, Biden seem, seeming more in, in control, less intra-party feuds, um, and less COVID and more jobs. Um, yeah, I mean, the weird irony, right, is that, and it's sort of, it's it's, it's not a major driver of our collective action problem dysfunction, but like if I think you're right, Republicans are going to win the house um, and probably the Senate. And, uh, but if the Democrats keep the moderate centrist type seats or a lot of them or some of them, even it means that, and, and they, they hold the Republicans gain down to a small number that actually will have the perverse effect of empowering Marjorie Taylor Greene and Paul Gosar and all those people because Kevin McCarthy will need every single vote on everything yeah. that he can, right? Like the more yeah. the more of a landslide, the more room Kevin McCarthy gets to have to be something closer to normal. But, Why do you think Kevin McCarthy is going to be speaker? Well, no, that, well, that's the other thing. Whoever the speaker is, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. I do not think it'll be Donald Trump. Um, no, despite... I don't either. But I think that it'll be, I think that there's a good chance that Trump gives McCarthy the heave ho like three days after the election. Oh, I think that's, yeah. I mean, I've been saying that for a while now. I, I yeah. in, in yeah. fact, I've been looking forward to it for a while now. Um, <laughs> and, you need to see it. Um, I mean, there's, it's like a Greek tragedy. Right. You know, um, speaking of which we I'm a little off topic, but Jonah, we I don't think we can dismount from this pod without talking about other um, epic um, gothic tragedy, tragic uh, plot development, which is that Marjorie Taylor Greene's endorsement has not saved J.G. Vance in the Ohio Senate race. And he's in serious trouble and is being urged by his pollster to go like more, I don't know, nuclear because his past comments, his past never Trump comments are coming back to haunt him. And um, Mandel is um, looking like he's in a much better place. So even, so it'll, it's be very interesting if um, MTG goes on this tour with him and doesn't rescue him because Mm. it will, um, I think, you know, it'll, it'll, it'll hurt her stock. Um. Yeah, I have not focused on this enough. I saw some of that stuff briefly this morning. Um, I we have to stipulate though. You know, part of the problem here is that, like, yes, JD Vans absolutely deserves to be humiliated. Right, this is a former private equity guy who wrote this great book that he did, um, and then decided to throw it all away to become this pandering demagogue guy. So yeah, he, he he deserves what he gets, but there's such an Iran Iraq war thing here, right? I mean, like the consolation prize of JD Vance going down in flames is getting Josh Mandel. But that's what I love because if Trump, <laughs> in, if Trump endorses Mandel, but yeah. Green had endorsed Vance, it's mm-hmm. our first uh, rift. It's our first rift between Green and and Trump, and she fancies herself. That's her power in the house as she tells Kevin McCarthy, I just got off the phone with Trump and you're in trouble. 
So I, I just kind of think. Yeah, that's no, I like it. I like it. I mean, as, <laughs> as, as, as Lennon would say, let's heighten the contradictions. Um, um, I got at the next Jewish space laser laser meeting. I got to um, <laughs> talk about, you know, what we can do to exacerbate this even further. Last we talked when I was in the front seat of my car by the Jack's by the Bozeman, Montana library. Oh, um, my gosh. Uh, yes. I can't remember exactly your how hard your prediction was or your phrasing, but I believe you were talking about how Nancy Pelosi wasn't going to run again. Um, I can't remember that exactly. I'm not trying to put you on the spot, but were you surprised that that Nancy announced that she is going to run again? And do you think she's going to serve a full term if she does? No, I do not. No, I yeah. do not. I think she has to run to get through election day and then the leadership races will happen and she will not run for speaker and she will say that she's leaving and there will be a special election. And her daughter is in contention for that. That is mm-hmm. what I believe that she that she just it, it was just too debilitating to the to the Democrats for her to say, OK, I am retiring. But right. um, some That's people how I left their it. staff. Yeah. yeah so fundraising and party unity for her to stay on, but she's not going to run for speaker. Um, but then, it, but, but it's, you know, it is going to be really volatile uh, because you're going to have this new, you know, generation battling it out. Um, and that new minority leader will get to, um, will get to shepherd the Democrats newly in the minority through the Biden impeachment in February of 2023 without Nancy Pelosi. And that will be hard. Maybe she'll stick around to help them with that. But she, I don't think she'll be minority leader. And so, like, you know, it's funny. I got a lot of grief from people. And you just reminded me about this. The last time you talk, we talked, you said a, a few times that the Republicans are going to impeach Biden. And I didn't push back on it. I just kind of let it go over the plate. And a bunch of pe- bunch of listeners are like, I wish you had asked her where she gets that from and... um like what they think they could impeach Biden for. And the funny thing is since, and I kind of agreed with the listeners. I was like, I should have said something. We should have talked about that, chewed on that a little bit. And then since then, uh, Ted Cruz has basically said, we're going to impeach him you know, if we get back the Senate um, or that Congress. Um, and a bunch of other people have said, Republicans have said something to that effect. But like, what does that look like? Like what, 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 do, what, yeah. what do Republicans so, actually impeach him for? So I can't get into like Andy Biggs's head, but I can tell you that Marjorie Taylor Greene filed articles of impeachment against, you know, she has some bill that she wrote like her first day in, in office. They they talk about the border and Hunter Biden and, you know, the, it'll it'll be some what they just what they're going to define as abuse of power. I, I can't I can't tell you I can't I don't know, but the base will demand it. Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Boebert will demand it. And Kevin McCarthy will be powerless. They will say that Trump was impeached twice and it's only fair. And they will find a reason. It is absolutely unavoidable. Hmm. I mean, I, I can't say I think that's a preposterous point of view. Um, I mean, can you just, imagine Kevin McCarthy saying, I, I just don't think it would be good for us right now. Let's not do that. No, no, no. I, I, I mean, I see the point of just like absent. <laughs> Jonah, just because it's dark doesn't mean it's not true. <laughs> that sh- that should actually be the tagline for this podcast. Um, <laughs> I mean, do you do you, no really? I want to hear from like, do you think that there's a reason they resist that? Um, I, I well, so there's. <sighs> let me think about this. So I think there are all sorts of reasons why they should. Like, we're back to is and odd, right? Uh, yeah. all sorts of reasons why they should resist it and not just because Biden didn't, according to our fact pattern right now, at least didn't do anything impeachable. Right. Um, although I personally think knowingly doing some of that mandate stuff when, or the rent moratorium, when you knew it was unconstitutional is I want to be consistent on this. I thought, okay, Bush- good. You just, you're good. You just gave him a reason, but I remember at the time you saying that, and I, I, yeah. I, I, just, I, I agree. I think they'll find reasons easily. Yeah. So, but like, the thing is, is like impeachment was actually in a strictly partisan sense, good for Trump. Impeachment was in a strictly partisan sense, good for Clinton. Um, because it galvanized their own base and um, 
and it was doomed to failure because I don't think I mean, I don't I assume you're not predicting that Biden will be removed from office. Right. Impeachment is over after the impeachments of Trump. No president will ever get convicted again. Yeah. So. So. um, So it is absolutely purely um, just for and giggles. Yeah. But I but and and you're right. It could galvanize the Democrats and help him. I I just can't. Yeah. My point is, is it's, it's a bad idea on the tactical level, even if even if you're totally open to the cynicism of it. Right. And like the right. BSness of it. But if like you actually want to think it through about how you want to position the party going into the 2024 presidential election, do, coming up with a bogus, dumb impeachment thing because it's only fair um, doesn't strike me. You know, when when you're claiming that the White House isn't keeping its eye on the ball on inflation and gas prices and crime. And so therefore, we're going to impeach the president and distract him. It just it seems to me bad political messaging on its own merits. But, but that's not what that's not how Matt right. thinks. <laughs> the point is, is that, you know, will Tucker Carlson be very excited about it? Sure. And will the base um, will the guys who thought that RNC resolution was just a home run? Will they be into it? For sure. Um, but this is why we can't have nice things. Um, exactly. So uh, as, as a wise woman once told me, just because it's very dark, it doesn't mean it's not true. Um. <laughs> Anyway, AB, thank you so much for doing this. I always love chatting Thanks, with you. Jonah. We still got to have so drinks and all that now that, yes. now that things are winding down. Um, yes, we've both had COVID. It's time to cocktail. Exactly. Um, and uh, and how's the dog, Chief? 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 This is great. I want to thank your listeners. Um, when I said on um, uh, the podcast that we did when he was just a wee pup. Uh-huh. That I was going to fix him um, in the fall when the kids left for college when he was six months old because my last soldier had been fixed when I adopted him at seven months. Um, someone wrote me and said, "No, they're really worried now about cancer. You can't fix him that early." And sure enough, the guidelines changed. And next time we talked to the vet, um, I brought that up with her, and she said, "Yes, for for that large breed, they've changed to twelve to eighteen months." So he's going to be a year on February 21, really soon. And uh, he's terrific. Uh, he attacks me on walks sometimes when there are leaf blowers and um, other exciting things like maybe a dog or, you know, I don't know, a big trafficy road. Um, but it's, you know, he just, he just but jumps to bite the leash. Mm-hmm. And um, sometimes violent but it's not it's just really annoying mm-hmm. at home he's perfect and um i don't know w- what the testosterone like levels have to do with that stuff but we're hoping to uh train him out of that um and so i think we're gonna hold off because he's, he's great he's like not aggressive with other dogs he's not humping every dog i mean he's just there's no reason so i am going to sort of put that off um you know another couple of months um and he's and he's great, but I want to thank the people, um, the the dog loving um, community here at the Remnant uh, for for emailing me actually yeah. right after the show. It's fascinating. Um, yeah. I I had not realized this correlation between high testosterone and freaking out over leaf blowers, but now it explains <laughs> why I have such problems with leaf exactly. blowers. It's just I have just so much testosterone in me. Um, uh, <laughs> All right, Abby, thank you so much for being here. And of course, we will have you back. So much, Jonah. It was really an honor. All right. So um, um, I actually have to head to the airport momentarily. And uh, I got a thing at a place with a guy. Um, but it was wonderful to have AB here. Um, love talking to AB. Um, uh, we tried something new with the audio. So if it seems a little wonky, uh, it's don't worry, Caleb will be punished. So it'll be fine. Um, and, uh, I'm not gonna get into the whole, the, I guess I'll save it for the ruminant thing. I know I said something about an announcement at the top, but like, yeah. So the, the news is, is I've signed up with CNN, um, uh, as a contributor, uh, I've gotten some very thoughtful complaints from some people asking, you know, how I can reconcile leaving Fox with and joining CNN. And I've gotten a lot of asinine stuff. Um, I know this is shocking to a lot of people. Um, and I haven't even looked at like AB wanted to talk to me about some of the 
more asinine stuff that was thrown at me at, on Twitter from the usual suspects. And I was just like, look, I haven't looked. I'm not going to look. I was dealing with some family stuff. I was traveling. I'm going to travel again. And I'm just going to ignore it because that's how that stuff, you know, is best dealt with. Uh, but I will, you know, say I have answers to basically every good faith position um, uh, or question or concern. Um, this is something I've spent a lot of time thinking about. I will say, like, while I'm very grateful to CNN, it's it's an exciting offer and it'll be an interesting experience. I have no doubt. Um, and there are people at CNN I'm looking forward to working with. I share a lot of criticisms of CNN. Go back. If you go and listen to that Kara Swisher podcast or read anything I've written about cable news, I think cable news in and of itself is as is deeply problematic. And everyone wants to make it. Everyone who doesn't love Fox wants to make it all about Fox News and that Fox News is the problem. No, Fox News is just the outlier because it does things from the the right side of the ledger. And there's some things that it does especially bad you know, like the Patriot Purge garbage and all that. But there are problems that are endemic to cable news generally that are that I've been writing about for a very long time. I'm aware of these complaints. Um, I think, uh, you know, but I'm at peace with where I'm at. And I'll explain it all more on the next one. I don't want to sound all gripey. I just wanted to make sure I, I acknowledge that I've heard from people. Um, I've also gotten a lot of great congratulations and all that kind of stuff. That's very nice, too. I uh, be perfectly honest again I'm, I'm ambivalent about doing a lot more tv stuff i i don't love being on tv um but uh there were reasons why i felt i should do it both for the dispatch and for me personally um and beyond that uh what else we are going to run because i'll be traveling we're going to run finally the lyman stone uh conversation i had from the other week uh, on Thursday. It's really interesting. People should check it out. Also, uh, if you didn't read, uh, Steve sent a letter or we sent a letter to our, uh, subscribers, you know, or to our members explaining all the exciting things that are coming down the pike, go check that out. And then next week we are going to be doing, uh, uh, the, the dispatch live experience returns. Um, it's been quite an ordeal having, Smell-O-Vision and Sense-Around installed in every single dispatch member's home to give you the full experience. Um, but we think it's going to be worth it. Um, hopefully, you've gotten your smoke machines and your strobe lights. Uh, and uh, we're going to try and do these things a lot more often, a lot more regularly, as we sort of move into phase two of uh, the dispatch's conquest of the known universe. So anyway, thanks to everybody for the support and um, thanks again to A.B. Stoddard and uh, I will see you on the Ruminant um, and if not, then I'll see you next time. No, you won't. This is a podcast. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.